Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at Hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. We are in the book of Genesis, in particular the section of Noah, Noah as you call it, depending on how you pronounce it, and this correlates to uh, Genesis chapter 6 from verse 9 through 11, verse 32. This course study it covers most, I say most, not quite all, because Noah's story starts a little bit earlier than that, because most of the story of Noah, which we are all very, very familiar with, uh, it's a good story, a good topic to discuss, a good, a good time to discuss it too. Uh, you'll note that I were to discuss in particular today, and one of the primary topics which is talking for, for Noah's story is uh, how it relates to our Messiah in many various aspects and what he did, including not only the actions, but also the timing of uh, certain events that took place in Messiah's lifetime. Before I go into my spiel, uh, if there are questions you have, if so, you can unmute yourself and ask, because I may not get them otherwise, because I have my own topics to cover today. And including my intent is to cover the New Testament portion as well, as well as a section of the prophets that cover this topic also. So, uh, Don, your hand is up. Go ahead. Uh, on uh, chapter 9, verses 25 to 27, Noah is cursing uh, Canaan. Yes, uh, because they exposed, uh, or, or they, they, they uh, kind of saw his nakedness. Why yeah. would he curse them? I mean, do you have any idea what that really was? I mean, I've heard all different different things. Why would he be so aggravated with, that he would curse him and his, the generations after that? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, now, note if we if we look at this from a clinical viewpoint, meaning meaning uh, not uh, not interpreting words into it, it is fascinating because uh, Ezekiel prohibits such things. In that uh, an act by one man, whether it be a father or a son, cannot be transferred punishment to the other. So Ezekiel 18 prevents such things. So, for example, if, uh, if Ham did something wrong to Noah in this instance, you could not, according to the Torah, according to Ezekiel, according to God's word, transfer the punishments to Canaan. Vice versa. You also, if Canaan did something, you could not transfer the punishment from Canaan to Ham or to Canaan's descendants. So, by, by Torah observation, as far as it, meaning, meaning through Ezekiel's eyes, there is no conceivable method which you could transfer this curse and let it stick from one generation to the next. Uh, by definition, you couldn't do that. Now, you may, as far as a Torah is concerned, you can, a blessing can transfer. Blessings can transfer from generation and going through, but curses, meaning punishments, are prohibited doing so. God said he will hold that against us. And even Ezekiel points out that people claim God's unfair. Well, no, he's not unfair. His way is right. And that no son can be held against for their father's sins, vice versa, possibly for the son's sins. So whatever happened, even though Noah officially cursed all of the descendants of Canaan, I said apparently now. Now, I want to be very, very, very specific here. Noah cites Canaan, 
uh, Canaan appears by the list of descendancy not to be the oldest son of Ham. He appears to be by the list of descendancy one of the young, the youngest, and not one of the youngest sons of Ham. So Ham may have had other sons, or it's possible that the Torah just reassigned Canaan as being a young son versus the older ones because it's curse. I couldn't say. That that could be a legitimate as far as meaning that since Ham has, Canaan is listed as Ham's fourth son, not his first son. So it is a strain to his events. And that may be the curse that Manoah was referring to, that you will be below, uh, you will no longer be prominent to the firstborn, will no longer be, if you'll be now subservient to everyone. Uh, Don, you had your hand up for a follow-up question? Go ahead. Yeah, uh, it just occurred to me, uh, if he depraved, if Noah depraved by planting a vineyard, and he got smashed, maybe this was a curse that under the influence, and it just didn't mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fair question, a comment. Uh, it does say he supposedly recovered, but I don't know what that means. You're, you have a hangover on what he's got. Uh, and he's just, just mad and still, still alcohol in the system. It, that totally could be. I believe that is uh, uh, Rabbi Akiva's uh, uh, comment. Um, yeah, yeah the question it was also brought up here on my end as far as why would, why would Noah even, why would the Bible even record such a thing? If uh, God would not hold it, meaning why would Noah curse the, the Ham and his descendants, or through Canaan at least, if uh, Ezekiel prohibits such things, it would not have applied? That's a great question. So, in my uh, uneducated opinion, I actually mean uneducated opinion because I don't have an answer to this one, um, is that uh, this curse was prominent against Canaan on purpose, and that Canaan being a slave, not physically a slave, mind you, but spiritually a slave, would be lower than the other two brothers. Actually, pause recording by mistake. Um, so it's possible that 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 that's, that is the intent, or that was the uh, that that was the the, the ob- objective. As far as what he did to Noah, no, I don't know. I'm not going to guess that. People just debate that and have debated that for so many years. Suffered the stuff from he slept with Noah's wife to to he castrated him to who knows. A lot of things people argue and complain because today in our modern day world, we think of, so he said, I saw his dad's naked body. It happens, all, it happens periodically. We, we, we all we live in the same houses. Sometimes he you know, so walks in on you changing clothes. It happens. It's just, it's just, oops, not a big deal. But uh, whatever occurred, it was a big deal at that time. And I, I am not discounting that he may not have done something more significant and some, some symbolic or some physical thing that was symbolic of just a term nakedness yeah. far more extreme yeah. i believe that is recorded in our book of uh, uh book of uh Leviticus as uh for example sexual misconduct is exposing the nakedness of your father if you have misconduct with him or with his uh, spouse so it's possible that that's what the reference is i couldn't say and i'm not going to guess it because it doesn't really matter um as far as punishment itself so now the question is so if it doesn't matter meaning God's not going to hold this curse generationally because Ezekiel records that God doesn't do that. That's what man does. You know, and I was thinking about this is um, the sin of him to me is not so much that he saw his father naked. Like you said, you know, you might walk it on somebody and all that. 
the dilemma is more that he went and told his older brothers, hey, dad's in his tent all naked, you know, he's drunk out of his ever-loving mind, and blah, blah, blah. I think that was the sin of him. And that totally could be. That could be the intent, and, and hence the brother's goal to, to not be, not see and, and then walk in backwards. So I, 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 and that could be all it is, just a matter of, of, of disgracing their father. Uh, it does Noah seem like... woke up and saw what he did. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, whatever he did, he said Noah had to have recognized and then at some point had to have asked questions because he determined that Shem and Japheth responded properly and he blessed Shem and then Japheth accordingly. So he had to have inquired. Some investigation took place when he asked what happened uh, as opposed to just wake up, hey, look, I'm, I'm, I have a blanket on me. And not if he was truly drunk, he wouldn't even probably pay attention to know what happened. So whatever he did, it made some lasting uh, effect or some lasting event. But it could be that uh, uh, Tammy's correct and that it's just a matter of just the comments and the rude remarks he may have made. And hence, Noah's son said, hey, as what Ham was doing or Canaan. Some argue it's Canaan who actually did it, but I, I can't say for certain because uh, Canaan was a recipient of the curse, even though the Bible seems to record Ham doing it. It seems a little odd. But uh, uh, so I, I can't explain all the details why, and I'm not going to try because it's really pointless. Uh, the, the, the Torah, God makes a point to only give us the information that he cares about for us to know. So if there's more information there, which I'm sure there is, he determined that is not important. It should not be recorded. Fair enough. I'm not going not gonna to argue with God it. Doesn't, God doesn't want us to trade in gossip. Well, exactly. <laughs> or, or get any good ideas. <laughs> he tells, like you said, he tells us what we need to know. Right, just Obviously, need to know. You don't really need to know. Yeah, you don't need to know that, that person's story. What happened in that tent? Exactly, you don't need to know. So that, that that's the extent of it. Uh, the cursing aspect is quite fascinating, though. So if we know that according to Ezekiel, God does not hold curses from generation from one to the next to the next, then this curse that Noah puts upon Canaan must be confined to Canaan the man, as, as opposed to to his descendancy. Because God specifically says he doesn't do that. He does not allow curses or, or punishments to travel from one to the next to the next. He doesn't do that. Now, people do that, but he doesn't. So, God would not necessarily fulfill this curse. Now, it does not mean, however, that the descendants of Sham, the descendants of Japheth, would not fulfill the curse. Meaning, they may say, great, we have permanent slaves, we're going to enslave Canaan, and, our, and they may continue on the curse. Uh, and that, that Shem's descendants may say, hey, we have permanent slaves. Wonderful. Uh, and Japheth's descendants, wait, we have permanent slaves. Wonderful. And they may enforce this curse. That's men enforcing a curse. That's not God enforcing a curse. It makes, it makes sense. Well, it makes sense. So it's very possible that this curse that Noah has declared, it's not that God's going to enforce it, but rather men, meaning descendants, they may enforce it. And even Canaan's brothers. Canaan winds up having three other brothers. They may also be the ones who enforce it. And note, I want to point out to you in particular, one of the brothers, Cush, has a son named Nimrod, who is obviously one of the most dominant players at the time and empire uh, builders. So he may have also used them, meaning his brother's descendants and his brother's descendants, as slaves. So it's totally possible that the men themselves made it happen not necessarily God making it happen. So keep in mind that 
God points out in Ezekiel that it is man's method, man's way to make someone curse and generation to next, to next, to next, to next is not God's way. And so that's, that's, that's a legitimate comment that, I mean, the point of view that it could be that Noah declared it and then the other descendants made it happen for multiple years. Now, no, Canaan, we already know, you know, as we read the rest of the Torah and, and, and the instructions and the prophets and such, that Canaan, the various descendants thereof, you know, the, the, the various, the Gergesites, all the various of the, the sites we, we, we rattle off, um, wind up being dominant in certain areas and subservient in others in the territory which they live. So we can claim they're slaves, but reality is they really weren't. Now, they were merchants, mind you. They made a lot of money. One could argue a merchant is a slave to his customers and his suppliers. You could, could, you could claim that, but that's a weak claim. They became exceptionally wealthy. I won't give them that. The descendants of Canaan were exceptionally wealthy, not in military strength, but actually just, just raw cash. They had a whole lot of cash on them. Uh, they could buy armies and pay them to do everything they wanted because they're, they're businessmen. So I would not classify God fulfilling the punishment that Noah gave to Canaan because quite a, we learn that Canaan is a equal term and it can be used interchangeably with merchant. So who buys and sells. So clearly they make money and they're wealthy at it. Anyhow, in the comments or questions? I uh, have one. Yes, Rose, go ahead. Uh, I have a simple one. In uh, chapter 7, uh, verse uh, 20, uh, what's 15 cubits? Hold on, that's 7, verse 20. Is that Isn't miles it? or feet? No, 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 no. Cubits are distance. 15, are 15 times 18 inches. Yeah, about 18 inches. But it's about a foot and a half. So there are two classifications in our Torah, the Bible, regarding cubit, two different dimensions given. Um, and that they discuss there were handbreadths it is, I believe it is in Kings, I think it talks about that. Can we call it? I think it's the book of Kings. Cubit comes in two different sizes, the standard size and the large size. The royal cubit is about 20 inches. The standard cubit is about 18. So if you're looking at this, it's either 20, 18 to 20 inches is the most common dimension. There is one secular source that put the cubit at 14 inches, but I can't say it's true or not. Um, so it's 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 roughly about that time that that, that distance. So the water was but, about thirty feet above the mountains. Uh, Fifteen uh, fifteen cubits would be it's about about a foot and a half per cubit. So yeah, you you you're probably looking about the t- maybe twenty ish twenty five feet on the ballpark above the mountains. Now I have absolutely no clue who measured that. Meaning Noah didn't go out in his in his little life dinghy boat and go out the nearest mountain and drop a plumb line. Okay, how tall is this? Hey, look, fifteen cubits. I have no idea how he got that number, but somehow he got that number. That's how I look over the mountains. Yeah, yeah, over the mountains. So by over the mountains, right? He doesn't have like you know we have like the the surveyor lines, right? Well, you have to have to see the object. You have to see the mountain. And if it's beneath the water, you can't see that. So I don't know how he figured it out. Yeah, it was probably just uh, dropping his sounding lines, <laughs> looking for a place to land. Right. <laughs> hey, look, the mountain. I don't know what he did. Somehow, somebody got him, or he figured out that it was fifteen cubits. It wasn't fourteen or or ten or or fifty three. Uh, somehow, he got fifteen. Uh, but yeah, so cubits about a, a foot and a half a piece. So you're looking at roughly around twenty to twenty five feet uh, depth wise over the water. Yes, Don. I. I um... 
Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, I can okay. hear you. Right. So, uh, yeah, they, they uh, I, I know that the, at least uh, in the 1800s, if not earlier, they would take uh, a certain measurement and in, in line and, and tie the equal distance apart. Yeah. And I can see, you know, I'm not sure if this is, but they can just, if, if there's no, you know, they can just go straight down and that's how many cameras yeah. it was. And that could be if, if he was directly on top of the mountain that he was selecting. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure if he steered over to it. There's no rudder, but somehow he maybe, maybe he just happened to be at the top of the mountain. He landed an air at first, so maybe that's what he determined it. Or maybe there was like a, a dinosaur on there and it, it kind of just was, it was 15 cubits. Oh, you, yes, Larry, your hand is up. Go ahead. I always just thought it meant there's no place where you can stand up. It's all over your head. Which is fair. That, that could be all, all he's referring to. Whatever it is, is too tall for man or beast to survive. Uh, so anyhow, uh, yes, so that's 15 cubits. Any comments, questions about that? No. All right, we'll go to our spiel. It shouldn't. Well, I'll try to stop the clock. Okay, yes, ma'am. All right, <clears throat> beginning chapter six, right? To, it was six, early part of, of Genesis. I mentioned it before. I was going to highlight a few details regarding how Messiah and Noah seem to be connected in various symbols and, and various events in their lives uh, in, in this in this uh, this topic, the story portion today. So it points out, of course, that Noah walked with God. That's the, the first introduction on uh, the, the, the introduction for verse, uh, verse 9. This is, uh, yeah, verse 9. Noah walked with God, and Noah be- we got uh, three sons, Shemim and Japheth. So n- walking with God, what does that mean? Now, there are a few examples in our Bibles and Torah regarding walking with God. One in particular, which we know is Enoch. Remember, Enoch walked with God. He was walked with God, and then he was no more. God took him. That was the description we heard from last Torah portion. So we have an example of both Noah and Enoch both walking with God. Now, they both have somewhat similar, though not even the course, similar symbolically-wise uh, events happen to them. We know that Enoch was taken out of, this, of his environment, meaning the earth that he lived in, where I don't know where he went. I'm not going to argue that topic. But he, went, he was taken out and he, he walked with God. So he, what earth, what environment did what world did Enoch live in? Now, mind you, he had other contemporaries. He had his, you know, his, his, his family. He had other people that were you know, distant relatives or cousins from him. And he walked with God. That implies the people during Enoch's time didn't. I mean, that Enoch walked with God, but what about the other people? Clearly, they didn't. Why? Enoch was taken and they were, were left. So walking with God is a distinction. Something that's different from you versus everybody else. So you, 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 you raised yourself up to a particular status as walking with God. Noah, of course, also walks with God, but note Enoch and Noah were both taken out of the environment they lived in. Enoch lived amongst men and beasts, of course, and where, where is he taken? I don't know, but he was not left here. He's taken off this earth, away from earth and men. Well, what happened to Noah? He lived with the same humans and beasts. And what was he taken in the ark off of earth and away from earth and men? So both actually had a fairly similar, though different methods, similar end result. Now you could obviously you know, argue, well, no was the one taken or no was the one left. We else was taken. Yeah, you, can, you could debate that. I'm not discuss the topics of, of perspective. But I want to bring up a few details to you in that uh, Noah, to understand Noah, but mind you, I'll, I'll bring this up 
on purpose because Noah is commonly, though not all, not universally, but commonly discarded amongst Jewish philosophers, Jewish philosophies, because it says he was walked with God is perfect within his generations. That means at his time, compared to everybody else, he was good, but if he lived in modern day, he'd be considered, you know, no more than the average Joe. And that is the common uh, Jewish commentary regarding Noah. And I find that reprehensible because Ezekiel proves otherwise. So we're discussing Noah. That's important. Let's go to the book of Ezekiel. We'll come back to Genesis shortly. Uh, this is in Ezekiel chapter 14. It discusses certain characteristics of Noah that I want to bring out to us in this conversation today. Because this is how one of the various methods it ties to our Messiah. So Ezekiel 14, uh, it goes, take the whole chapter discusses this topic. Uh, I, I, to be fair, I should read the whole thing, but uh, I may just choose to go from verse 12 onward. So uh, let's see here. And no, actually, it's right to go through the whole chapter. So we'll go through the whole chapter. So Ezekiel 14, starting verse 1. This is, it's, you have to understand context. You can't just jump in half of his, his, his commentary when he's the context of the whole chapter. So uh, Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Now some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. And the word of Jehovah came to me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and put before them that which caused them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? Therefore, speak to them and say to them, Thus says Jehovah God, Everyone of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity, and then comes to the prophet, I, Jehovah, will answer him who will come, who comes, according to the multitude of his idols, that I may seize the house of Israel by their heart, because they all are it's estranged from me by their idols. Pause. Those first uh, four or five verses or so, this is the context. So the people that Ezekiel is dealing with is his own people who are supposed to know God, but inside they do not. I mean, the outside appearance they do, inside they have turned themselves away from God. So they are only following on the outward appearance alone. So all men would think they follow God, but he points out in their hearts, they're in idols, and before them it makes them to stumble. And that they are inquiring on the outward appearance of God as if they are godly men. And in fact, they are the opposite of. They are, as uh, 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 Messiah used the phrase, whitewashed tombs. But in this case, it's even worse. So, uh, in, oh, sorry, before I go on. Uh, and God points out that they, he will not answer them through their prophets. Meaning he will not answer through Ezekiel the questions these people have, but rather God himself will answer these iniquitous individuals because inside of what they are corrupt about, they're disgusting on the interior. And of course, he's going to answer them as opposed to Ezekiel answering them. So I, I bring this context up because, mind you, remember the context of the, the, the people, the environment that Noah lives in. Okay? Now, Noah, in his setup, he lives in an environment where wickedness and corruption, destruction, are an everyday normal occurrence where meanness and evil is considered acceptable and standard practice. So this instance, Ezekiel's pointing out, this is the wickedness is internal practice is standard, but the external practice to make yourself appear righteous. Do you want in verse uh, six? Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says you have our God, repent, turn away from your idols and turn your face away from all your abominations. 
for anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers or sojourn of Israel who separates himself from me and set, sets up idols in his heart and puts before him what caused him to stumble into iniquity, then comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me, I, Yehovah, will answer him by myself. I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb. I will cut him off in the midst of my people. Then you should know that I am Yehovah. And if the prophet is induced to speak anything, I, Yehovah, have induced that prophet. I will stretch out my hand against him and destroy him from among my people Israel. And they shall bear their iniquity and their punishment of the prophet shall be on the same as the punishment of the one who inquired. The house of Israel may no longer stray from me, nor be profaned any more with all their transgressions, but that they may my people and I may be their God, says Jehovah God. Now, this is the context of the type of people that God is looking for. That he points out that both, oops, sorry, hold on a minute. Yeah, minor detail. He ran into the, the screen behind me. <laughs> I said, the context we're dealing here is the, the, the internal context when Ezekiel's talking about this internal problem on Sundays with the people he's dwelling, he's, he's, he's living with. And God's point out their internalness is what makes them evil and corrupt and disgusting. Their externalness is not this of the issue per se, the internal part is. And God himself is the one who would answer. Now, note, in the case of Noah, who cleaned up the mess? Did Noah clean the mess up or did God clean up the mess? God cleaned up the mess, right? So that God answers those who are iniquitous. Noah did not. God did. Now, this is important because understanding what the nation of Noah did, in fact, do, though he's claimed to not do it, uh, this Ezekiel 14 argues otherwise. Uh, you want in verse 12 of Ezekiel 14. The word of Jehovah came again to me and said, Son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread, send famine upon it, and cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says Jehovah God. Pause. Now, this is where we have our comparison, which is, gives us some of our answers. In the case here, God is the one who will do the correction and cutting off both man and beast. Now, note, in Noah's flood, did God cut off man and beast? Yes. Very many men and beasts were all cut off. Now, this is what I want to bring up to your attention. Verse 14, though these three men, meaning Noah, Daniel, and Job, may be in the land, they would only deliver themselves with the righteousness says Jehovah. Think about that. What is Daniel known for? You think, oh, the lion's dead. Well, okay, there's, that's the story. What is the character? What is his character known for? His prayer. What got him in the lion's den? The prayer to God. And what was he praying for? The peace of Jerusalem, praying for God, praying for his people. See, Daniel's character is what makes him righteous, I mean, what, what categorizes him in the righteous category, what he did in, in his actions, how he conducted himself, not just his mind opinions or the thoughts of his heart, but rather the actions went with it. What did Daniel pray for? Well, he prayed for God to intervene, as he points, as we look at Daniel, the 70 years, that Daniel, Daniel reads from Jeremiah, says, God, 70 years is a long time, of course, he just prays and he fasts for a long time as well about it's God save these people. He's trying to intercede. Use that word again, intercede. 
Daniel's known for his character trying to intercede on behalf of somebody else. That's a fundamental point. We cannot stress, I cannot stress that enough. Daniel's act of righteousness was his intercession attempts. He considered others greater and more valuable and worthy of prayer, worthy of trying to influence. What was Job known for? Precisely that. Job interceded on behalf of his children, and then later he had interceded on behalf of his four friends, which God said, if you don't intercede on their behalf, I'm going to kill them. So, Job is known for his righteousness and his intercession ability. So, if Job is an intercessor, Daniel is an intercessor, and that's what made them righteous, what is Noah? Well, Noah physically interceded on behalf of his children, including all the animals that were on the earth. These three men are intercessors. Their character, their righteousness is put, put others in front of themselves to do things on behalf of somebody else. And now here in Ezekiel, we're pointing out that even if these three men were amongst this wicked people of Israel, meaning their intercessing famousness would not work, would not be enough, would fail. They would only be able to take care of themselves, meaning they the, 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 the unrighteousness was so great, they would not be able to intervene on behalf of anyone else. That's an interesting point. Now, in Noah's case, the unrighteousness of the people in this day were so great, he could not convince or argue or intercede on behalf of any other person. He got the animals, some of them. He got his sons. But what about his brothers or his sisters or anybody else? No one else. So he tried to intercede and was unsuccessful on behalf of the rest of the earth. But he was civil, of course, with his sons, but they may have just obeyed dad because they were born into it. I don't, know, I don't know the details behind them. Ham's not appear to be all that grand of an individual. But this intercession, intercession is the point. So Noah, Daniel, and Job, their claim to fame is they intercede on behalf of somebody else. Actually, not just somebody else, of many other people. Not just themselves, but many people. Verse 15, If I cause wild beasts to pass through the land, and they empty it, and make it so desolate that no man may pass through because of the beasts, even though these same three men were in it, as I live, says Jehovah God, they would neither deliver sons nor daughters. Only they would be delivered, and the land would be desolate. Meaning, so it's now pause again. So now we're in the same scenario, but that's even worse. What did Job intercede on behalf of? His children. And God points out, wouldn't work. What did Noah successfully intercede on behalf of? The animals and his children. And God points out, nope, wouldn't work. And they didn't have any recorded children, but he may have, he may have we don't know. They, they don't record it. So as far as Daniel's concerned, we don't know whether his biological sons or daughters may have been interested on behalf We don't know. But he did intercede on behalf of his people, tried to. He would not have been able to save any of them. So in this case, we have these examples of these three men did intercede on behalf of other people, and they successfully did so. Other individuals survived because of their prayers. That means those individuals were not as bad off as the people here being recorded in the book of Ezekiel. I mean, the people of Noah's day 
some of the police, the sons in particular, were not as bad as individuals here that God's speaking to the house of Israel. House of Israel is worse. We look at that strangely, what God made the flood, he killed his people, it must have been awful, awful, awful. Yeah, I'm sure it was, but clearly Israel did worse than that. Why is that? What makes it worse? Well, here in Israel, he points out God's complaint is, it's the internal part. In their heart, they were idol worshipers. And they set themselves up to, to, in order to, to, to make themselves stumble. That was within inside them, but the outside they were not. At least in Noah's day, the outside, they were evil and corrupt. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a plus. At least you, you, you are what you claim to be, as opposed to you aren't what you claim to be. At least in Noah's day, they were more honest. Uh, verse 17. Or if I bring a sword on the land and, and say, sword, go to the land, and I cut off every beast, man and beast from it, even though these three men were in it, as I live, Jehovah God, they would neither deliver sons or daughters, but only they themselves would deliver. Or if I send a pestilence into the land and pour up my fury upon it, the blood, and cut off from it man and beast, even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, Jehovah God, they would deliver neither son nor daughter, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. For thus says Jehovah God, how much more it shall be when I send my four severe judgments upon Jerusalem, the sword, the famine, the wild beast, the pestilence, to cut off men and beasts from it. Yet behold, there shall be left in it a remnant who will be brought out, both sons and daughters. Surely they will come out to you, and you will see their ways and their doings. Then you will be comforted concerning the disaster that I have brought upon Jerusalem. Indeed, all that I have brought upon it, and they will comfort you when, when you see their ways and their doings, and you shall know that I have done it nothing without cause, that I have done it, says Jehovah God. So at this point, at the tail end, he points out that the individuals recipient of all these corrections, those who survive it, they are admitting as they explain what, what they were doing in the content of their behavior, and it says, you will be comfortable, you will now understand, oh, you, this is right. God was supposed to destroy all these people. He was correct to do so. He was justified. This is right solution. This is this is what should this is the solution that should work. So intercession was not able to work. What I want to bring your attention to, however, these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, known for interceding ability on behalf of others at their day and their time, and was successful. God points out that it will not be successful. But what makes these three men so righteous was their attempt to succeed. Think of that for a minute. The three men, what makes them righteous was their attempting to intercede. They're, they're, they, they tried to intercede. That's what makes them distinct. Though they may not succeed, was Job successful in saving his children? No. But he tried it anyway. Was Daniel successful in saving Jerusalem or, Israel, or all of his people? No. But he tried it anyway. Was Noah successful in saving all of his family members? No. His sons, yes, but not the rest of them. But he tried it anyway. See, righteousness is not necessarily defined by success in your attempts. These women are known for righteous because they tried. They attempted to. They strived to do so. That's what made them counted for righteousness. 
So look at Noah's description of God's description of Noah. They walked with God and the early environment as far as where he lived in. It's beyond just because, oh, we killed everybody else. He was better. No, 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 no. If he's being compared with Daniel and compared with Job, he is far superior to anyone I've ever met or heard of in modern day. That that is someone who is who is attempting at their own peril to make others survive and succeed. That is a righteous he's the intercessor by nature. That's what makes him distinct. So that's an important component or aspect of Noah. I want to I cannot stress enough. I do not consider him to be a a a well, he's just good enough, barely survivable compared to everybody else in his in his environment. Quite the opposite. He was very superior to even modern day in most ways. So move forward a little bit faster here. The other thing to talk, talk about, because this is the primary characteristic that Messiah distributed, displays. Uh, in this instance, was Messiah an intercessor? By definition, yes. And that's what Messiahs do. They, 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 they're saviors. So it's not just to save a group of people. Messiah was an intercessor by nature and by definition. So did our Messiah intercede on others' behalf? Just like Noah, just like Daniel, just like Job. Absolutely. Of course he did. Now, unlike Noah, Daniel, and Job, who were only partially or insignificantly successful, was Messiah more successful? Yes. Because unlike Noah, jo- Daniel, and Job, who could save themselves, the righteous, they, they, they were successful in that capacity. Their, their, their intercession ability was worthy of salvation for themselves. Messiah's intercession, intercession was worthy of salvation, not just for himself, but for everybody else too. So these three men were Messiah-like figures. They're Messianic figures. They're, they're, people, they're men who, who had characteristics and acted like Messiah in some way. Um, in particular with uh, Noah, who we're focusing our attention upon as opposed to Daniel and Job. Uh, just a little bit about this. So in, 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 in the details of Noah, there's some things I want to point out. I'm not going to discuss all the, the nature, mind you, as far as you know, two pairs versus seven pairs and such, the birds. We've discussed that in previous times. We already know that clean animals are a reference to Israel, the descendants of, uh, of Jacob. We already know that the uh, birds appear to be, these certain ones, appear to be uh, potentially symbolic of those who were similar to Israel, but not necessarily biologically related. And we know the unclean correlates to uh, Gentiles, or non, non-Israel followers. We're not going to discuss, discuss that today. It's not relevant today for, for our conversation. What I want to bring your attention to, however, is timing. So, in chapter 7, uh, which are, this is a conversation I've had with my mother in the past, uh, and I did not have a good answer for her at the time, but uh, God helped me see one uh, earlier this morning. Um, so, there's this timing events. So, in uh, chapter 7, verse 4, uh, it says, uh, see, was it verse? Where it? it says, uh, it's God speaking to, to, to Noah at this time, saying, hey, get yourself ready. I'm, I'm going to see a flood here. So, in seven days, for seven more days, time, I will send rain upon the earth for 14 days and 14 nights. I will blot out all existence that I have made from upon the face of the, of the ground. Noah did according to everything that Jehovah had commanded him. Now, that's seven days. So, God, Noah, God has given Noah seven days, seven days, in order to load up all the animals that he, sorry, load up all the animals that have come. Now, Noah was not in the business of collecting animals the previous 100 years. His job was to build the ark the previous 100 years. I don't know if he had any contractors with him, but at least he and his sons probably helped. Building the ark, that was their job, and make rooms and collect food. Note the plants, which they all ate. 
Now, unlike animals, God didn't send plants to the, to the ark. He didn't have the plants march along the way with their roots. Uh, animals walked along, plants didn't. So it was no one's son's job to collect plants, whatever the plants they eat. I, yeah, if we can't make plants march too, that'd be funny. Um, and the point is that if, 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 uh, for the previous 100 years, Noah's making compartments and I'm assuming dried goods, because I don't know how you make moist goods last that long, no, no refrigeration. Um, anyhow, to make these, the, the food, food last. Laurie <laughs> said it was very cold in the ark, very thick walls. I don't know. <laughs> Good ventilation. Uh, ventilation? Oh, whatever. Anyway, so, uh, he had plants. So the previous 100 years, he's building the ark and acquiring food for everybody. The animals, however, don't come until seven days before they start marching along and start start coming. I, I'm not, I don't know the details of all the animals. I wasn't there. And of course, we obviously the expression, the, the instruction for the seven pairs are clean. But seven days before, so we have seven days to load them up, and then the rains come. Now, in verse ten, it points out that the rain comes on the seventeenth day of the second month. That means God told Noah to stop. To stop, uh, sorry, to start loading up on the tenth day of the second month, seven days before, right? So seventeen minus minus seven is ten days. Tenth day of the second month. Now, the only events that we know of that occur on the tenth tenth day of any month is, or even seventeenth of any month, happens to be on the holiday cycle. So, the the you will know to remember when we go when we cover Passover, in particular with the first Passover after they exit Egypt. That the the people come to say, hey, uh, we were unclean. We could not observe Passover, the Lord's Passover, at the appropriate time. And then God gives gives a relent. That's okay. You will do it the fifteenth day of the second month. So the second month is reserved for an event for the Passover, a secondary Passover event. That if you miss the first one, what are the circumstances by which you miss the first one? God lists them only as you're on a long journey, you're traveling from a huge distance from point A to point B, whatever it is, and you're busy walking. Or you're unclean and you can't observe Passover at the proper time. So in Passover for part two or number two for second month, second month Passover, uh, it is reserved for two events: long journeys or you're uh, you're unclean. But these the event at the time of second Passover, if you were going to do a second Passover, let's pretend you did. Let's pretend you were you you were unclean, whatever. You still have to select your lamb. What day of the week of the month do you select your lamb for the second Passover? You have to follow the same instruction as the first. So, if you are the second Passover, the tenth day of the second month is when you select your lamb. That's you to find your perfect lamb. And it's set aside for waiting for your second Passover. So, the tenth day of the second month is your second Passover lamb selection day. That's the day God tells Noah start loading the ark. And in particular, he reiterates the same thing on the same day. He says, you alone I have found righteous in these generations. So God has inspected Noah. God has found him to be perfect or righteous in his generation on the second day, sorry, the second month, the 10th day of the second month. So we have a repeat symbolically and event-wise of the Passover selection, selection day for Passover 1. In this case, it's Passover number 2 that does it. So God has delayed. Now, what would be the reason? Remember, remember what the reason was for delaying Passover from one to the next? Journeyings or uncleanness? 
what makes you unclean? Is it strictly your own actions or can the environment around you make you unclean? Yes, the environment around you can make you unclean too. If you are touching and interacting with unclean things, guess what? You became unclean. So right around you makes you unclean. Did Noah live in an unclean environment? By sheer definition, yes. God said so unclean, I have to wash it to baptize it away. I'm going to baptize it in a massive flood and wash away the uncleanness from this environment. It's so corrupt. So Noah lived in an unclean environment. Hence, symbolically speaking, Passover 2 makes sense. So the tenth day of the second month, when you would select the best of the lambs, the best of the, of the servants, the best of the ones that are designed to save you from destruction. And who is what, what does the Passover lamb do? To save you from the destructing hand, destruction hand of God, the Passover lamb is supposed to do that on the ritual Passover, the whole, the whole blood doorpost thing. It saves you from your sins, from the, from the, from the, from the killing hand of, of, of the hand of God. And what is Noah's second Passover selection process saves Noah and the animals and his sons from the destructive hand of God. The same thing. Symbolically, we have a connection between Passover and God telling Noah, enter the ark. It's the same symbolic event. It's delayed for one month due to the corruption of Noah's time. Now, I'm going to reiterate this because this comes up again at Messiah's day. We're not there yet. We have to get there. We'll we'll keep going here. So this is just now on the 17th day of the second month. Now, this is when he would actually enter the ark. Uh, That day becomes very important as we'll soon soon discuss. But if you were, for some reason, uh, failed in your first Passover assignment, you would have held your Passover on the evening of the 14th and the 15th day of the the second month. And of course, you may, depending on where you were at, because if you were on a journey, you may have, uh, you may have have, maybe have had uh, leavened bread with you at the time of the first uh, days of leavened bread. You would be then observing second day of leavened bread through the second month if you were on a journey, not if you were unclean by the journey. So this, the middle of what that second unday leavened bread process would be, the middle of it, this is significant, mind you, shows up as when Noah enters the ark and God, of course, then seals it. So we have this, so far we've covered this, this first, the 10th day of the first month, and then the second month. Now, mind you, we already know the 10th day of the first as well. as the 7th are already connected, Yom Kippur. So we know that Yom Kippur and the, plant, plant, the Lamb Selection Day are already known, well known as connections to one another, symbolically speaking. And now we have the 10th day of the second month also connected to it. So 10th day of the second month, 10th day of the first month, 10th day of the seventh month, they all have similar aspects to them. The design is to save those that are that are clean or cleaned or are holy or set aside and, and, and destroy that which is not. They all have the various similarities, but we're not going to end there because there's more important stuff here. So obviously they all they, they all go through this process of, of, of they're in the ark, they're 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 going through this process of cleansing themselves. Now I mentioned before, so God baptized the earth, in this case the flood, to wash away the sins, much like you would baptize through the Red Sea or baptized the Jordan River as they crossed the Jordan River. God baptized the earth, and what came on the other side was Noah, his three sons, and his wife, and of course, the animals went with him. Now, it, we obviously know the fountains of the deep were broken open, of course, everything was, the, the, the flood came, I'll come to the details of that, it's not terribly important. I want to point out one thing to you, however, is that uh, in verse 16, it points out the ark was shut by the hand of God, meaning he sealed it, 
I bring this to you because think for a minute what the people on the outside are dealing with when the ark is sealed. Do they want in? Probably. If they weren't worried about if they were concerned all by the flood, they want in. But when God seals the door, does he allow anyone to come in? Think about the ten virgins and the, the five were foolish. They knocked the door, let us in. He said, I don't know you. Go away. I'm not going to save you. So it's also important to note that when God seals the door, no one gets to walk past it. It's stuck. It's stuck sealed and stuck well. So we don't want to be in that category. Just don't forget that. So, okay, so there's 40 days the ark was raised and lifted up from the earth. That should sound strikingly familiar to those of you who are Christians in particular. So 40 days, the ark was lifted up from the earth. That's verse uh, 17. Because uh, this is repeated in a similar word choice in the book of Acts. Go to the book of Acts chapter 1. These are not random events because they will tie together at the end as you, as you see. Uh, book of Acts chapter 1 it is the same word choice, the word choice starting from chapter 1 verse 1 uh, this is a former account made at Theophilus that Jesus began to do both good and to teach until the day in which he was lifted up after through the Holy Spirit had given the commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen he also presented himself alive after his suffering for, by many infallible proofs being seen by them for 40 days and speaking things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the, for the promise of the Father, which he said, you will have heard from me. So in the term of Messiah is being lifted up and then he is observed for 40 days. Well, the ark, sorry, lifted up from the earth. Messiah lifted up from the earth, as the phrase means, means to be hung. You know, hung. He lifts up the earth. He's hung. That's usually the phrase terminology. But in the case of Messiah, he was you know, nailed to a stake or a cross. Same way, he lifted him off the earth. Lifted him off the earth, then he was seen for today. The ark was lifted him off the earth and was in the water floating around, I assume seen by those who were drowning, for 40 days. <laughs> I don't know how many of them were busy watching it. Who knows? Probably too busy you know, trying to stay, stay alive and, and avoid the flood waters. And he has seen for 40 days. Uh, in this case, the, the, the process of Noah's, the whole flesh was washed away for those 40 days. The timing is important, so I'm, why I'm, I'm timing these events. So Messiah was lifted up. After he was lifted up, for 40 days, he was observed and seen. So sometime, if he dies on the 14th, roughly the 14th, after the 14th of the, of the first day, first month, sorry, then 40 days later, he's in the middle of the second month. Now, note, Noah's process of you know being flood water starts in the middle of the second month. That's not, not, a lot. That, that, that's not a coincidence. There's actually purpose to that. Let's continue on. Uh, the verse, go back to Genesis. Uh, so we have uh, the, chapter 8, which discusses the fact that there's 150 days pass by when it flood fall, was on the earth before the ark comes to rest on Ararat on the 17th day of the seventh month. So we have roughly five months pass by. and we Actually, not roughly. We have exactly five months pass by. So essentially the seventh month. What is the 17th day of the seventh month? That is the middle of Sukkot. We just had that two weeks ago. So the middle of the fall holiday feasts of Sukkot, the ark comes to rest. It now has a home, a dwelling place. No longer watering and moving around amongst the water, being tossed and turned. 
and now has a place to dwell on the top of a mountain. That is not a coincidence. Now, a Messiah will also Messiah when he observed Sukkot, all the same thing in the middle. This is recorded in the book of John, chapter seven. In the middle of the or the middle of Sukkot is when Messiah goes up to Jerusalem. That's when he goes to his father's house to teach. That's John chapter seven. So both the middle of Sukkot, the the the, the ark comes to rest. Middle of Sukkot, God says, "Hey, I." The, the teaching he talks about it in John chapter seven says. I am from God. I am from the Father. He sent me. That's Messiah's message from the middle of Sukkot. And so this ark has now come to rest by the hand of God. God has made the ark rest on the mountain. The ark could have easily been wandering around for another weeks or months in the valleys until it finally settled on some bottom hill somewhere. Because that's what water does. Archelisa, but God didn't make that happen. He sure it landed on a mountaintop. Now, he couldn't see other mountains, so Aaron was probably relatively tall, but he made it rest there at that moment in time. And of course, I will not, don't, don't, don't discard the fact that Messiah also in Sukkot discusses, hey, if you're thirsty, come drink water from me. I am living water, much like the water, there's a similar reference to Noah as the water of the floods. So, uh, like Messiah, Noah's ark people could not actually follow because Messiah's ex- his speeches he gives on in chapter seven in the middle of the Sukkot, he says, "I am the follower. I'm going back to me. You can't follow me. You cannot follow." Well, in Noah's case, the people could not follow Noah, could they? He had a boat, big old boat. What they have, their arms. So I assume you can't follow. You can't follow Noah's boat. You couldn't follow Messiah either. But both Messiah and Noah were the only way of living. So both Noah, if you wanted to live, you had to follow Noah. If you want to live with Messiah, you have to follow Messiah. But you won't be able to follow them. So your source, your, your solution for life to live is follow these two men. But you can't. You can't follow Noah. You're too late. You can't follow Messiah because obviously physically it's impossible. So you have this, 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 this impossibility because you cannot get into Noah's boat because it's already been sealed by God. You can't get to Messiah's heaven. Why? Because only flesh and blood cannot inherit heaven. Only God has that, that ability to control that. So we're, we're not going to end there yet because as we continue on, the most important part is toward the end of this. Uh, of course, obviously, Noah it sends out the raven and goes back and forth. We're going to discuss that again today. That's about whole eating dead bodies. And of course, and then the, the, the dove as far as looking for plants and such. Uh, but on the first day of the first month, is, is uh, chapter 8, verse 13, the first day of the first month is the waters dried and uh, re- and the ark removed, but no, removed the cover of the ark. So brand new year, first of the first month, the new year has begun. We're talking springtime. So now the Messiah, or sorry, the ark is now revealed or opened up. So the, the, the dwelling place of all these, those who were saved has now been opened up. That's not a coincidence. I'm using this word, cho- word choice on purpose. So this new year uh, is they have a new world. Noah has a new world. There's a new earth. Uh, and there's no wickedness in it. That should not be surprising because that not that just what we're waiting for, our Messiah and our God with a new Jerusalem, a new earth, a new heaven, and there's no wickedness allowed in it? Same thing. That's a good thing. That's what we're after. So Noah's experiencing these events. But Noah remains in the ark. He does not come out of it. 
until, as it records there, the 27th day of the second month. That's a phenomenally important date as far as Christians are concerned. Uh, the 27th day of the second month. Now, that is roughly a year and 10 days. Roughly exactly. A year and 10 days after the flood water started. But it comes out. So all the animals come out that date. All the men come out that date. That date's very important. The new earth is then inhabited, and now the team they go forth and they they have their they they populate. Now, I don't know exactly when Noah decided to offer offerings out of the exact same day, or maybe he waited a few years till more animals started to populate. I don't have an answer for that one, so I can't say the date which he built this altar. Some argue it was the exact same day. I don't know. But does it matter? The 27th day of the second month is fundamentally important to all Christians. Guess what date Messiah went up into heaven? The 27th day of the second month. So this coming out of the ark with Noah and all the animals, you now have a new world. Go populate it. Go fill it with team full of, full of life. There's no wickedness in it. It's the same date Messiah goes up to heaven. You now are going to have a new world, a new earth. The process has now begun. So Messiah goes up to heaven at that date, the same exact date Noah and all every, every, our command to come out of the ark. Because note, God is the one who commands it to come out on that date. He makes sure the date matches. And I see the Messiah went up that date because Messiah dies in the, the 14th, the evening afternoon of the 14th. Two days, three nights later, he rises on the 17th. And then 40 days he is seen. That lands him on the, because the 30, 30 days, we, the 17th the following month, 10 more days, the 27th the following month. So he, he, he goes up to heaven, they watch him go up to heaven, and they say, Hey, we see him go, and the angels say, "Hey, right, the same way you see him up, the same way he'll, he'll come back down again." It all happens on the twenty seventh day of the second month. So Messiah and Noah have date correlations that seem to appear to match one another on certain aspects. So we understand that this is a this, this, they, they, these two men are attached to one another in God's timing. Note, God is the one who decided wh- what date to send the floodwaters. God is the one who decided what date. That the, the the boat ship would would ark would land on the Mount Ararat. God has decided what date to command them to come out of the ark. So God made all the dates match. And of course, Messiah's day. God has one decides how many days Messiah is going to before he goes up to heaven. God said what how many days what timing God Messiah goes up to Sukkot. God decides the date. So God is making he's orchestrating these dates and times. So God made sure Messiah's event occurrences, at least some of them, appear to correlate. Either symbolically or timing-wise, with Noah, thus connecting the two men together. And of course, in this, God then promises in chapter eight in His heart, which applies, of course, Noah did not actually hear these words, but God says His heart that He will allow, make sure that uh, the earth will continue in the form of seeds will grow, and there'll be winter, and there'll be summer, and there'll be day and night, and no longer uh, 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 curse the ground. More specifically, God told his heart he would curse the ground for man's wickedness. So the ground now could grow food more readily again. 
which is not like it was prior to us with Canaan. Uh, and, and Adam, and Eve, Adam and Eve, sorry, God cursed the ground at that time. So after we have certain similarities between uh, Messiah and, of course, uh, to, 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 to Noah and the details of what had happened, there's a few more details I want to bring up to you, in particular before we go into uh, some, of the, some of the prophetic details of this. Uh, yeah, I have time for that. Uh, we have, obviously, the fear of all beasts and animals. Chapter 9, it says the beasts and animals be upon all men. Why? What is, why would God do that? Because prior to the flood, apparently, there's a good reason for this, a good reason to demonstrate this, that uh, the fear of man was not on all the beasts and the animals of the earth. But after the flood, the fear is to be on all the beasts and the animals of the earth. Why would that be? Who saved them? Who saved them? Well, as far as the animals are concerned, Noah did. That's they saw Noah. They don't go wrong. I'm not saying that the animal creation doesn't understand God, but what the animals see with their two eyes, they saw Noah. They saw men save them. So when someone saves you, guess what? They are greater than you. You could not save yourself. Could any of those animals build an ark? No. <laughs> They don't have the, the skill level or the knowledge or the capacity to stamp what to build. Could any of those animals collected all the food required to keep all those animals alive for a year? No. They can barely understand their own needs, much less the needs of, of other creatures. So it requires someone greater than themselves. So in this case, the fear of all of them, of course, all, all, all men, sorry, all animals, all beasts upon men. And, fair, and it's fair enough because Noah is, in fact, the one that, uh, that saved them in that, in that respect. Uh, I'm not going to discuss the too many details about um, uh, that we discussed earlier about uh, the, the Noah and the drinking and the curse and blah blah. blah. I won't I'll discuss that again with the horror of the nakedness. Um, there is uh, there is some some a few words in Isaiah that refer to the same type of thing, a same same event. But the tale of this, before we go into our prophetic uh, uh, commentary a little bit, a little small amount of commentary about it uh, in the Book of Luke. Uh, is is that uh, I should take it back. Well, I'm not going to cover that yet. Yeah, I'll cover Luke now because this next section is not worth covering on this topic. So look at book book of Luke uh, discusses a similar event in Luke chapter 17. Not event meaning the flood, but that means symbolically the nature of the people which we had read about in Ezekiel 14, as well as in the book of uh, uh, the Torah itself. And this is uh, Luke chapter 17. This discussion discussion on the nature of uh, the second coming. So, um, we're going to the first two, uh, verse 20, 21. We're going to pause 21 because this is a very important topic to not forget. So, this is Luke 17. Messiah discusses on the nature of the second coming he's referring to as far as his, the day of the Lord is another term for it. So Luke 17, verse 20 says, Now when he, for Messiah, was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered that the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here, see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is here in your midst. Pause. Um, this is an important concept to understand. This is one of the things that, 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 that shapes my worldview and God view. Uh, regarding this, not just this verse alone, but the idea of what's being discussed here. 
you, you will note in your Gospels the phrase, with various uh, commas beside does those parables, the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, well, that phrase means, meaning in not, not for the Greek interpretations, for the actual, the, the, the Hebrew phrases, when you use that phrase in translating the language, it means it's here. I mean, you're, it's right in front of you. It's already here. It exists here today. So that's the phrase means in a Hebrew, uh, mental, Hebrew, mental, Hebrew mental state. So the kingdom of God is, is here. It's already here. And that's what he's referring to. It's, it's, it's already here. It's in front of you. It's, it's, this is it. You're, you're in it. So in, in this, that, that's, that, that's that phrase terminology. Um, so when they're asking for when will the kingdom of God come, it's already there. Now what we and it, it think of, we think of kingdom of God, we think of, well, you know, God coming down and, you know, being in charge of everything and, you know, being, you know, rule the rod of iron and then the destruction. That's not the kingdom of God. That's just the event that occurs in it. Kingdom of God is a simple question, which all of you know the answer to this question. Who is your king? Is it your president? Is it your governor? Is it you? Who is your king? Your God. Your God is your king. Your Messiah is your is 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 the one who's in charge of you. So this is yeah, they are your king. Oh yes. Yeah, Daniel, you bring up a very interesting point when you're talking about um, you know the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right. and to what you're talking about earlier with um, you know with uh, Enoch and uh, Noah. And the interesting thing about walking among them, because you get a very interesting picture, because when you look at that thing of walking among you, you see that also a picture of, you know, when it says that the, uh, the Lord is walking among you and with the, the tabernacle in their midst. Mm-hmm. So it's a very interesting point when you, when you bring that up, um, you know, about thinking about the coming of the kingdom of God being like the day of the Lord. Actually, you have a very earlier instance of that with the tabernacle among them, where you have the tabernacle among them. That wasn't some sort of spectacular ruling over the nations. That was, you know, the dwelling place of God with with mankind. Right. So you have basically a prelude to that when the Mashiach shows up. So that being a precursor to Mashiach showing up, walking among being a precursor to the kingdom, which later came in Israel's history when the tabernacle moved into the land, then Israel became this kingdom, which, you know, under Solomon expanded its borders and subjugated other areas. You see that parallel later on with Mashiach walking among uh, Israel, and then later on the foretold aspect of the conquering king coming to subdue the nation. And, and I think it's important that we as uh, Christians or Messianic or Jewish, whatever your personal persuasion happens to be, um, to understand that these events are, 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 are distinct. So, so these events are, are distinct events, meaning that, that uh, being dwelling with God and dwelling in the kingdom of God is not, it is not, it is not necessarily mean that you're, you, you're going to go through the, 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 the tribulation and, 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 and you'll see the new heaven, new earth come down. Because note, how many people lived before us died in God, in faith, in Messiah, even those who before Messiah was born, and God says, yeah, he's mine too. 
For example, so obviously the most common citation would be Abraham himself. Is God say, oh, sorry, Abraham, you got to wait the whole time before you're allowed to come into my kingdom. No, he's the God of the God of the living. So Abraham was already selected. So the kingdom of God has been an accumulation event accumulating over time of all men. Kingdom of God existed even with Adam and Eve. It's always been here. He's always been the king. It's a matter of in our lifetime, what do I do? Do I choose to follow my king or not? So the kingdom of God, it has been before Messiah was around, kingdom of God existed, and people were already going into it, not necessarily in the form of resurrection and you know, having a big old structure with you know, big walls and you know, gates, no, that kind of stuff, not, not the physical bi- building necessarily, but the, 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 the submitting to one's king and what the laws and the ways of which that king is and lives by, and that you will follow them. That is your kingdom. There are many people in the world that will submit to the nation they live in, and not necessarily to the instructions that God gave us to live by, right? Our nations have lists of laws, and we follow them. And we switch nation, we go from one to the next one, guess what? It's a new list of laws. But our list of our God's God's laws, our king's laws, do they change if I transfer one nation to the next? No, they don't. They don't change. So my king's laws, my kingdom that I live in, didn't actually change at all, regardless of what the boundaries, the borders I live in, what language I speak. So to me, it's important to understand Messiah was put, the kingdom of God's here. Now, what the Pharisees were referring to could have been, I'm not saying for sure because I wasn't in their minds, is that the major event associated with the domination of all the earth, that is a day of an event in the Son of Man. That's not necessarily the kingdom of God. That's just one event. Now, it may take more than a day, but the point is that that's, that's separate. So Messiah points out here to his disciples in verse 22, says, hey, they're talking about something else, not the kingdom of God. They use a term kingdom of God that's not what they what they're referring to. King God is already here. So verse twenty two, he clarifies to his disciples what the Pharisees were talking about. He said, uh, verse uh, also Luke seventeen verse 30, verse twenty two. His disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. Pause. Because the events referring to, you know, destruction of a lot of stuff and, you know, the big wars and stuff, that is nothing more than a day. I'm not referring to a physical day, I'm referring to just an, an event, an occurrence. Much like, you know, our, our, our civil war, right, was just a few years. It wasn't the entire existence of the United States. Our Revolutionary War, it wasn't it was the whole United States, it was just it was for a few years. And then it was, it was over. And then we moved on. So this event he's referring to as far as destruction, that's just one event. There's lots of other stuff that's more important, or not more important, equally important also. In verse 23, it says, And they will say to you, look here, look there, do not go after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part of heaven shines the other part under heaven, so all son of man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was the days of Noah, so will it be also the days of the Son of Man. They ate and drank and married and wives, and they were given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also the days of Lot, 
They ate and drank and they bought and they sold, they planted and they built. But on the day the lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he was on the housetop and his goods are in the house. Let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who's in the field, let him not return back. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you in that, that in that night, there will be two men, one in bed, one will be taken, the other one left. Two women will be riding up together, one will be taken, the other one left. Two men will be in the field, one taken, one left. And they answered and said to him, Where, O Lord? So he answered, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. A nice nice uh, reference to, uh, to eating you know, the dead bodies. Uh, because that's where they're taken. They're taken, people are dead. But anyway, so the whole process here we're discussing is that the events that occur, that the, the, this, this massive correction event that occurs, is the, the world around us will continue on as it has always done. It will appear to be the similar thing it has done in the past. I realize there may be you know, distractions of you know, dumb laws and various occurrences and you know, crazy dressed people walking around uh, in, in, in wrong gender clothing. But uh, that, that's not the point. That those, those events will occur, but you will still do your regular, you go to work, you know, pay your bills, you go to the grocery store, but there's there, a change. Much like Noah. So in Noah's case, when we discussed Noah, we discussed the events that took place. That was the biggest, but just one event in Noah's life, wasn't it? The flood was the event in a single year of his life. He lives 950 years. This is one. And then it came, then it went and moved on. The kingdom of God, with the whole destruction of mankind, not all mankind, but the destruction of him, that's, that's one event. That's a big one, but it's one event. What's happened leading up to it? Well, you, you are. You, you, your life has led up to it. So is mine. So did David's. So did Abraham's. So did Adam. Their lives were their events. And they were just one of the various events that God's been collecting individuals along the way for the past 6,000 years. So our events are just our events. They're our temporary ones, but they, they, they exist to us. And that's what matters to us. Hence, Messiah's point, don't worry about it. Don't go seeking. Don't, ignore it. It'll be obvious when it happens. Right now, as far as you are concerned, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here and now. It's your life. You live it. And unlike Ezekiel, which he had to cover, it can't be the external appearance. Ezekiel 14, it has to be the internal kind. (laughs) The inside you has to be the part that he addresses, the part that he selects, part that he cleans up, not the outside. Noah, as I mentioned before, had a great advantage in that the people were what they appeared to be. They were corrupt on the outside because they were corrupt on the inside. It wasn't the vice versa thing where they were corrupt on the inside but on the out. They showed you exactly, they showed their whole cards. And God said, thanks, great, I'll just wipe you all out. We're done. Problem solved. In Ezekiel's time, said, okay, I can't just wipe you all out because uh, it's so corrupt and so disgusting that I have to look on the inside first and then handpick 
the individuals that are worthwhile saving and the rest of you go away. So not a blanket, broad brush flood. This is going to be a slow, tedious, life by life by life, generation by generation process of selecting. Which when Ezekiel's pointing out, it, it, well, one of the things he points out in a few different spots. And God points out that you are held according to what you do, Ezekiel 18, as opposed to what somebody else does or didn't do. It is strictly on your own. You stand on your own two feet with your Messiah in front of your God. You can't point fingers. You can't say, so-and-so said such and such to me one time ago and I believed him. So what? You're on your own. Stand on your own two feet and let's talk. That kind of thing. Makes sense? Totally makes sense. So this is important. I think uh, it's important to understand the Messiah's, the, the prophetic nature of what Messiah did and what Manoah did and the salvation of the people that were involved during his day. So I last five minutes or so, I will take to discuss a little bit about the, the, the legacy that Noah left. The legacy Noah left regarding this topic happens to be, as we read a little bit about, is the story of uh, the Babel and not, he, not that Noah himself caused Babel, but the point is that, that, that his descendants then, then did. What about Abraham? So after this whole flood process and, and, and God cleaned away the wickedness and all oh, great, here's a new earth, a new, a new, he- new not new heaven, but new, a new earth, uh, a new world to live in, all clean, all wickedness washed away. Every bad thing is now dead. We can start over. We'll just start clean, start fresh. How long that lasts? Well, apparently long enough for vines to grow and produce grapes. Well, five years, give or take. <laughs> and then it all went downhill. The ham shows up. It has his issues or Canaan. Oh, I, you can debate which one actually did it. But either way, so as long as it takes to you know, grow, grow grapes. I wonder if he had a grapeseed store. He probably did. Yeah, no, it's probably smart to have grapeseed. At least maybe raisins. Not whatever he had. In, in the ark. He might probably want to grow grapes. That makes sense, huh? I, I would. I sort yeah, seed, seed bank. Um, in, in, on, the, on the ark. Anyhow, so uh, it, whatever he did, it took about so much time lapse. And of course, the events fall apart. And mankind goes back to wickedness again. But as God promised, he will not use a massive broad stroke brush to wipe man off again in the form of a flood. Note, he does not say he won't use something else. He just said he won't use a flood again. It's very important. He can use any some other tool, <laughs> but he would no longer use a flood. That was just great. It's, it's like your parents saying, don't worry. I will no longer use this belt to spank you anymore. I have a bigger one over here. <laughs> it's, 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 it's funny, but reality is it, just because you switched belts now. I, I took the belt buckle off now. It's a different color. No. Uh, it, you can choose different ones. So there's not that God wouldn't necessarily destroy man from wickedness again. It just he wouldn't use a flood to do it anymore, which is nice. That's helpful, God. Maybe... Well, basically, California, he used wildfires instead. <laughs> but, oh, well, he'll, he'll destroy the other method. Um, it, 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 it wouldn't surprise me. Colorado, too. Maybe there's a reason. Yeah, probably pot smokers. All the blowing in it. Hey, let's move on. Uh, so, so w- 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 sorry, sidebar. Um, uh, 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 yeah, the descendants. So, after, after Noah, of course, you have the great Nimrod, which, of course, builds a tower uh, with the whole bricks and such. Uh, I want to point out to you that in the genealogy of the three sons with Japheth, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Ham's the younger one. So Shem and Japheth, I, I always get that confused. Shem's always listed first, but Japheth's geologist is first. So most think Japheth was oldest. 
But it's possible he wasn't. I, you could debate that. Maybe Shem was older. I don't really know. Traditionally, you think Shem is the, considered the middle son. But anyway, they were populated across the Middle East area where, where Ararat was, was, was situated. And you had uh, Japheth on the middle side, middle, roughly middle areas. You had Canaan also along the Mediterranean coast. And you had Shemsonites over on the east side, you know, we think like, you know, you know Persia, that, that kind of territory, that, that, in that area. And that's pretty where they're mostly divided up. They, they started to spread out from there, but that's how they're most dominantly divided. So Canaan was put on the opposite side of Shem, the opposite sides of each other. The Japheth was, was in the middle, Canaan was the opposite sides. And of course, you have uh, Babylon, which I think is fascinating because Babylon, so, so if Shem's over here and Canaan's over here and Japheth is somewhere in the middle, Babylon is that the descendants of Canaan come from Canaan, travel over to where Japheth's territory is, and they build a massive city here. The Nimrod, the Babylon, 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 Babel, uh, the big territory that he builds there in the city of Babel in, 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 in Nineveh and very other towns. He does right in the middle. Oh, not Nineveh, sorry. Just, uh, is it Nineveh? No, he just built Babel. I think, I think Asher builds the demand. I get it mixed up sometimes. It was, it was this year earlier. But anyway, he goes into somebody else's territory to do it. And the, the thing I think, I think is interesting about this is it's my personal uh, observation is actually maybe I can probably show you this. Maybe there's a picture. I think I have a picture of this. Hold on a minute. It is in. What page number was that on? Ah, oh, there it is. You probably can't see this, but it's all right. We'll try it you anyway. You can pretend to see it at least. Just nod your heads and pretend you see it. So in this picture, it shows, I think you can see very well, chronologies from Adam way up top all the way down to uh, Jacob down here at the bottom. On this timeline, which is very hard to see, you had different years going across. Yeah, you have one there too, Don. The years going across, all the way across here, all the way across, all the way across. And this line here, this is a long line. This correlates to the flood. This flood supposed to take place, you know, it's right at the tail end of Lamech's death. You know, Moses, uh, sorry, Noah's dad dies, and like the next year the flood happens. Maybe that's what God was waiting for. I don't know. The flood happens here, and then, uh, this is about 1600 or so, then about just shy of 2000 when, is when the Babylon happened. So this time period, like 400 years passed, before Babylon, yeah, Babylon, sorry, Babylon, keep using Babylon, let me say Babylon. Babel happens over here, which is roughly about the time where Abraham is around 50, about 50 years old, give or take. Maybe, maybe, maybe he may be 48, 48, I don't make a difference, but he's around 50 years old. What I find most interesting about that whole Babel thing is, is that uh, the people of Canaan and the people of, uh, of Japheth, the people of Shem, we mentally have this, I do, maybe you don't, I always see the picture as a kid. Mentally, that all these people lived together in the same towns, right next to each other. And that's where they all lived. And that was wrong. And my mental picture is incorrect. Because that's not what actually happened. Um, if you have that mental picture, imagine this for a minute. Just imagine, put, this, put, put, put yourself in the shoes. Let's pretend that all of them live in and around the territory town of Babel. Just pretend everybody does that. May all the descendants, all the brothers, sisters, the aunts, the uncles, the cousins, twice removed, the unwanted in-laws, they're all hanging around there in around that one town. When Abraham is around 50 years old, God confuses their languages. 
But when Abraham is 75, only 25 years later, he's in Canaan and in Egypt where there's a massive empire of pharaohs. A huge civilization building pyramids. We're talking only 25 years later. Think about that. If God divides the languages up at one moment in time that everybody scatters because they were all at one spot, then after they scatter, they, they start building separate empires. Only 25 years pass, and Abraham goes to each says, oh, these people have no idea who God is. They had no fear of God. I was afraid. I told my, my wife to tell, tell everybody I'm your, you're my sister. All these people in Egypt, 25 years ago, those same people lived in Babel. Of course, there's a fear of God. They experienced it themselves. If they were there. It's a big if. See, the separation of the nations apparently is, in my opinion, this is Daniel's opinion, did not all live in Babel, everybody, just before then God's separate languages. I personally believe a certain number of individuals, certain people groups did live in Babel, but the majority of the nations existed prior to. Because otherwise, Egypt, with its pyramids and all its massive construction equipment, having no knowledge of God would make no sense if they just experienced Babel 25 years earlier. Yes, Rose, your hands up. Well, I have in my notes that um, uh, Japheth uh, migrated to Europe. Uh, Canaan became uh, the Arab nations. And Shem migrated to Asia. That, 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 in, in some of their descendancies, yes. I would not say all of them, but yes, some of them did. And that uh, much of the Japheth did travel further north. And not all of it, but some of it did. So much travel a few, like one of them did. And then Shem, as I mentioned before, because Shem and Canaan were opposite sides. Shem, most of the descendancies stayed in the east and you know, on a populated area. Abraham, of course, was one of the primary exceptions that traveled to opposite direction. And Canaan, yes, traveled to the Mediterranean territory, inclusive of the Middle East and in Africa. That's the dominant area which they traveled. They went, they went sideways, most of them went sideways. So most of these nations would have started themselves out. Because mind you, you're talking, you know, 400 years pass after the flood. 400 years. How many children can you have? grow in a 400 year span a whole lot a whole lot <laughs> hundreds of thousands after 400 years you have a lot of people start populating pretty quick it doesn't take that long in particular when you're when you as an individual don't die at 75 and 85 you die at 300 and 400 so you you, you may have you know how many wives you have i don't know but the point is you, have a, you could have a lot of kids. So you can keep going, keep going. They could be million or more, maybe even more than that at the time, but the 400 years span goes by. So all these people are not living in one ton of Babel. I couldn't imagine the sewer system required alone to handle that many people. Just, oh, just a yeah. stench. Oh, holy cow. You would be living near a river. You'd be living in a, in a, a cesspool. The diseases, it just makes no sense. And modern day, we can handle 1 million or 2 million sized cities and you've seen the infrastructure required to make them all not die of disease. 
So in that case, I don't think a million people are hanging around Babel. I could see probably a, a few thousand, tens, tens of thousands maybe in the area, but not the millions as is required today. Or what could be done today. So my inclinations the past 40 years, they were already spreading out. But they were trying to centralize power. Someone wanted to centralize power, and that's what they were after. They wanted power control over all the nations because people pursue power for the sake of power. We're still trying to do that today. Yes, nothing's changed. Men are all the same. So people, you have power, and the way you, what defines power is not money. What defines power is people under your control. That's what makes you powerful. Hence, the king of Sodom told Abraham, or Abram, sorry, sorry, it wasn't Abraham yet, told Abram, you keep all the stuff, I want the people. Because the Sodom, he doesn't care about the stuff. That's just money. He wants power. That's what matters. So Nimrod and all the people in Babel, they wanted power. Control of all the nations. Influence over and dominate them. That's their after. What did God say? Uh-uh. We're going to let someone control everybody. I'm crushing you now by the whole language thing. And Abraham appears because he lived in the area of Babel at the time. He and his family, his father and his brothers, apparently were experiencing or part of that, that event, part of that Babel occurrence. They're probably around or in, in the area, the vicinity of it when it happened. I can't say they were like in the town, but they were, they were in the region or nearby at least. And they, of course, travel off. They had, 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 that's the legacy that Noah leaves after the flood. So this, the intercession ability of Noah and his character is clearly an important component that defines him as a righteous individual. So you and I, if we want to consider or pretend that we strive to be righteous, mimic the individuals that God said are righteous. Intercede, even though you know it won't work. <laughs> Intercede anyway. Try. <laughs> the attempt is what matters here, not the success. God defines success. Your job is to attempt. When it comes to intervening on behalf of the world we live in, yeah, we pray for it. We try to do our best to live as righteous as we can because we know our king is our king, regardless of what borders we live in, what nation laws we have to live under. We still belong to one king. We have one kingdom that is actively present and has been for thousands and thousands of years, the creator of all things. So he is our king. He is a kingdom we live in. That's, that, was, that is and has been here all along. And of course, it is our job to be as righteous as we can because we know we ourselves not save a single living soul. But it is also those same men who said, yeah, I may not save anybody, but I'm still going to try. I'm still going to ask. I'm still going to try to intervene. I'm going to try to be the intercessor in that capacity, not for their self-gain, not because Daniel wanted to lift himself up or no wanted to make himself important, but just to intervene on behalf of others who don't know any better, who don't know how to fix, who don't know how to make things better. Job's friends, quite obviously, that they tried their attempts, their feeble attempts, trying to understand the actions of their God. They didn't understand him. They didn't know any better. And Job had to intervene because they didn't know any better. So the world around us just plain doesn't know 
who its king actually is. That's their fault. If they knew who their king was, I believe, they probably make a better life choices in the nation that they run or the nation the places they live in. So these are important components, and of course, our Messiah is the only one who successfully interceded on behalf of everybody else instead of himself, which is a fascinating component, but it's also, it tells us the messianic character of Noah, Daniel, and Job and their mimicking of our Messiah. Any questions or comments regarding this Torah portion regarding uh, Noah or anything else? I didn't cover, obviously, certain details about you know the ship's size, and it's not really relevant to what we'll cover today. There's lots of videos. It's just a couple, covers tons of stuff. A lot of YouTube videos about this, too, about different artists' ideas, how things looked and how they, how they existed. Um, someday, maybe you get the opportunity. I've never been there. I don't know if I ever will. The, the Noah's Ark exhibit thing they got going on there down in his Kentucky or his Kentucky. I forgot. Missouri? Yes. It's oh, where are we? Kentucky. Thank you. Uh, to, get, to get there, the, I, mean, I think Austin will go see. I think the, what, the, the, the White Souls got to go see it. Uh, uh, they were out there. They have some pictures of it. It's really big. <laughs> it's really big. <laughs> Anyhow, I don't know if it's the exact, I'm sure it's supposed to be the exact size based on the definitions of what they interpret the cubits to be, like a foot and a half. I don't think they did a royal cubit of, eight, of 20 inches if I did 18, but I, 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 I was, I'm not there, so I don't know. Any comments or questions on this tour portion or our topic of Noah? All right. Well, then we'll go, and, we'll go ahead and uh, close the prayer. Almighty God, our great Father, thank you for our Shabbat, a day of rest, a day of peace, a day of understanding your ways. Well, we ask you to continue to help us to be wise people, to listen to your voice and follow the path that you have before us. For you are our God, and we are your servants. Help us, Father, to serve you and serve the people around us that you put in front of us. We do right and do as best we can. Father, we know we fail. We know we have weaknesses. We know we have things we don't understand. Yet we're trying anyway. So in your compassion and your kindness, Please consider our attempts to try, our attempts to, 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 to desire to do right and to teach our children gradually what is right. May you do a better job than we ever could. May you take over where we fail. May you succeed and proceed on their behalf and on people's behalf, Father, because without you, there's no other way of doing it. We wish to be saved by you, Father. We ask your blessing upon all of us, upon your people, upon our day of rest. In Yeshua's name, Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at Hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.